You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Goldsevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it is a beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. Spring has finally sprung, the grass is frizzed, the flowers is blooming, it's all that good stuff. We just love springtime in the Pacific Northwest because it's been a long winter. And of course, we go through the 11 seasons of winter here in, in the Pacific Northwest. There's kind of pre-winter, and then there's a little bit of pre-spring, and then there's mid-winter, and then there's a little bit of, of fall, spring, and then there's real winter, and then there's two weeks of mud, and it just kind of keeps going like that for a while. Uh, <laughs> winter goes here, and uh, getting to see blue sky with white puffy clouds and all that, it's just a thrill for me here in Pacific Northwest. But this is the Bose Nose Show. We're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and I'm Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, your host of the Bose Nose Show. And uh, we come to you here live every Wednesday at four o'clock. So I can talk to the folks here in Lane County and to whoever wants to listen here on the World Wide Web and uh, talk a little bit about Lane County and what's going on here. We can talk national politics, world politics, whatever you want to talk about. Just give me a call at 646-721-9887 and uh, just press one and that lets Robin my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. And as you hear the panting of one of my poodles come running into the room. <laughs> so it's been an interesting week, you know, for me as a county commissioner, because it's it's finally kind of gotten to be re-election time. You know, you start kind of preparing to run for re-election and making that decision months back. But, you know, after they finally close the filing deadline, that kind of officially begins uh, election season. And today I had my um, interview with the editorial uh, staff at the Register Guard for their endorsement process. So that kind of really brings it home that I am running for re-election. And, and it's always... Um, tough because I'm still a commissioner and still have to get all that stuff done. And that's a 60 hour plus week job. And then I've got to throw on trying to run for, for reelection on top of that. So I'm sure that you guys are all just crying crocodile tears for me, but uh, it's just something that comes along with the job and adds a little extra stress and all that. But it's kind of fun too, because you kind of get to focus, you know, why do I want to do this job for another four years? And, and what haven't I finished in the seven, almost seven and a half years that I've been doing this job? And so you got to kind of think forward and think back a little bit and getting to talk to the uh, Register Guard editorial staff about it is kind of fun because it's, a, it's an exercise in thinking in the future and somewhat and, and why you're why you would be good to be at this job for another four years. You know, why do I deserve to come back? And, and, and what do I see as the big things I want to work on? And it's pretty easy to answer the question about, you know, what are the what are the big issues you want to work on? You know, for me, it boils down to, to, to two simple issues. Yeah, I can give it to you in three words, housing, public safety. So there's, there's the two big issues of the next four years if I'm a county commissioner, and even the big issues as of today. And we've talked about housing quite a bit on the Bose Doe show, and how it's just such a, a problem for economic development in Lane County and for um, trying to get folks uh, into jobs because it's hard to start a job if you can't find a place to live. 
you know, and that's really as, as our small businesses and our large businesses here in Lane County want to expand and bring in new workers, they're competing for workforce. And that's really, um, really a key is if we can get our workforce housing to be relatively inexpensive and in good supply, we're going to have a lot of economic growth here in Lane County. And besides that, it's really what's driving our, our homeless issue because it's really putting a lot of people into that housing burden category where rents are so high that they're spending more than 30% of their income on housing. In fact, there are a lot of families in Lane County are spending more than 50% of their income on housing. And you can imagine what that's like to have your rent check eat up over half of your pay. That is just an incredible. So as as I'm thinking about you know those problems and talking to the register guard, you know what you know, I identify you know it's easy to identify that as one of the biggest problems facing Lane County. It's holding down economic development. It's it's exacerbating our homeless problem. It's really putting a lot of families in stress. What are you going to do about it? You know what what's Lane County's role in trying to help fix this problem? And and I talked first about Lane County is become so adept at being the collaborator and the convener of of people working together and leveraging different uh, funding streams and different uh, expertise to try and solve problems and and how we've had to do that because we've had to live with less at lane county we're probably one of the few governments that's actually making a hit on in our budget where we've actually gone negative and have a smaller budget today than we did 10 years ago and that's because of our loss of the federal forest funding and it's made us have to be really efficient and have to leverage and have to collaborate and it's made us really adept at doing that too and so that's one of the places i see lane county is as being the 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 catalyst to, to solving some of these problems and bringing uh all sorts of agencies together and trying to solve that and bringing you know, pieces, you know, uh, some federal grant money here, some state funding from there, some, you know, contribution from a city government maybe, and then hiring a nonprofit to actually carry out the the, the housing when it comes to some of the uh, low-income housing on, on that end of the scale, to just working with our small cities on, you know, have they recently done a residential lands inventory? Do they need to expand their urban growth boundaries so that there's more residential land available, which will make land cheaper and therefore make housing cheaper and more plentiful here in Lane County? You know, can we be a catalyst working with the cities? Can we go up to the legislature and get legislation passed that will let us uh, um, permit accessory dwelling units in rural yeah. residential properties? You know, and that will add to that you know, housing stock, I've talked about that before on the on the Snow show about ADUs and access, accessory dwelling units in rural residential settings. You know, that's, you know, just one big issue. And then public safety is another issue that, you know, we haven't finished yet. And really, a lot of people aren't aware, but a few years back, uh, county staff got together, the sheriff and the DA and some of our staff and they wrote up a 10-year public safety plan. And it was broken up into three phases. Basically, phase one was a um, try and hang on to what we got. You know, as, as we were going through that massive reduction in, in, in budget, so it was called keeping what we have. So it was trying to maintain the existing patrol we had and, and some of that trying to replace some of the grant funding that was expiring for the district attorney's office and, and just hanging on to services. And phase two is about restoring capacity. And that's actually supposed to start in 2018. You know, that phase one was from 2015 to 2018. Phase two is supposed to run from 2018 to 2022, which is restoring capacity to address felonies. And then phase three from 2022 to 2025 is about restoring full services. So 
we're actually have gotten into phase two with only really one aspect, or I should say two aspects of our public safety system, and that's the jail and our youth services. And that's due to the uh, public safety levy that we passed and and, and renewed uh, recently here with 72% yes vote. That's actually restored capacity that we had lost um, in all those budget cuts. So we're actually doing well with the jail and we're doing well with services, although we still are nowhere close to where we used to be. There are a lot of places where we're, we managed to complete phase one and hang on to what we have, but we haven't gotten into phase two yet. And, and particularly rural patrol is one of those places. And you know, I, I see rural patrol as solving a couple issues and public safety is solving a couple issues. First is I like a public safety system and it is a system and it runs from the deputy in the patrol car out, out there somewhere in rural Lane County all the way to some of our health and human services programs that are working on addiction treatment and mental health and some of the, those aspects of trying to keep people out of the criminal justice system or diverting people out of the criminal justice system and keeping them out. It's all a huge system. And I see the patrol piece of that as the piece that's gonna, gonna make our roads safer through traffic enforcement. And also start the intervention in people's lives earlier. If we don't have adequate patrol services, we're not getting out there and investigating property crimes, which are usually caused by addiction, you know, people feeding addictions, early enough in somebody's career where they haven't become, you know, years into an addiction issue. If we were out there investigating them aggressively, we'd be catching people that have started turning to property crimes to feed an addiction early in their addiction process, and it's a lot easier to start dealing with that. And we let people go years and years and years of criminality because we're not being, we can't adequately enforce some of our, our they, they get changes in their brain circuitry. You know, if you're addicted long enough, it really changes your brain. And it makes it much, much harder to get, to get sober, to get, uh, to stay sober. And also then there becomes underlying mental health issues that come with those changes in circuitry. I, I see rural patrol as really fine safety for, for you know transportation safety and for folks to to get early intervention and, and get diversion in some of those programs other programs that I like like to have. There's a real need to get a a, a new um, locally controlled and stable source of funding for public safety, because it, it is still way behind the curve. I mean, if we actually could fix our patrol and get some patrol out there, we would outstrip our DA's capability to actually process those those crimes and get them to you know take care of the prosecution, because they're staffed right now for the level of arrests we're making, and we'd be making far more arrests if we staff up the police department. We need to staff the DA department. Our parole and probation office is carrying a very heavy caseload and, and needs additional staff. You know, we could go all up and down the services where there's places and holes in our system that need to be plugged, that, you know, cuts that we had to make or services that we just haven't been able to grow because of our lack of resources here in Lane County. There's some long-term solutions to this, and one of them is maybe looking at the Deschutes County model of uh, public safety districts. And that's one of the things I, I'm looking at. It took Deschutes County eight years to put those in place. So it's a longer-term conversation, and one that you have to be looking towards the future. And I've kind of got that long-term focus that I'm looking at. And I think those are really, you know, as I'm, I'm talking to the, the Register Guard today, I'm really thinking, you know, why do I want to do this for another four years? What, what do I really want to start and accomplish? So I really see trying to work hard on really coming to expanding our housing supply and, and solving some of the housing crisis and how that will stimulate our economy. And that, it's not going to be an overnight thing, and we're going to have to chip away at it, and we'll get, we'll get more and more um, 
progress in that as years go on, you know, and, and establishing that housing first model here in Lane County of getting people in it with a roof over their heads and then attaching intensive case management to them is something I want to see happen. And then trying to really fix our public safety system in a permanent way and get a real functional public safety system that does good restorative justice. And restorative justice doesn't mean people get away with things. It's, you still hold people accountable. But what you try and do is after you've held them accountable, make sure that they get the treatment and the services they need to be successful in the future so that they're not coming back to the system. So they only get into the system once. That's really what restorative justice is about, is, is restoring those people at the same time, restoring the victims. So it's, it's not just a, you know, yeah. about perpetrator, it's also about the victims too. So victim services is a big piece of restorative justice. So, you know, those things make me excited about working towards future. You know, there are other things, you know, there's, there's the uh, county courthouse that needs to get uh, replaced as as it has seismic issues and considerable security issues and is aging out is undersized for this, the population of this county and the number of cases that are run through it and the number of judges that we have so looking at the new courthouse will be would be a big big thing to to work on getting accomplished in the next term you know and then just Continuing the day-to-day -day work, and I've, and I've had to think about this a little bit over the last uh, week or so, because I've been trying to sort of collect some stories from some of the people I've helped over the years. And that's the constituent services part. And it's a part that kind of I haven't talked about too much on the Bo's Nose Show, because it's really personal to whichever person I'm helping at that time. But a major portion of my time, and, and, the, and the editor at the Register Guard, um, asked me, you know, how much time do you spend in, in, in outreach and, and constituent services a week? And I, and I had to think about it. You know, I told her I get up at six o'clock in the morning and after I get the dogs let out and, and a cup of coffee, one of the first things I do is start checking email and Facebook messages, communicate back with constituents that might have emailed me overnight. And I finished doing that while I'm watching TV up until I go to bed somewhere about, you know, nine or 10 at night. So it, it, it doesn't seem to ever stop. So I was just kind of guesstimating because I spend also a lot of time in meetings and, and doing other commissioner duties that aren't maybe necessarily constituent uh, work. Somewhere about maybe 30, 20 to 30 hours a week minimum. You know, it, it's just you're always doing that kind of work. And, you know, I, I was you know, I've been thinking back, you know, just some of the little things that do, whether it's a, a person that's concerned about a neighbor that started um, bikes around their, their yard, you know, day and night all the time and, and looks like they're inviting friends over and not sure if they're running actually a, a races over there and, and charging money or what's going on, but <laughs> legal. Can, you know, can you help me because it's driving me crazy and all that stuff and trying to help that person out to the person that calls me about the, the marijuana grow and or a lot that's causing their their seven year old child to have terrible allergies and asthma. And, and what can I do about that marijuana grow? It, you know, helping out with some some other things that are kind of a little on the oddball side. You know, and I, I was relating to the to to Eileen at the Register Guard, you know, a couple of the more oddball things that happened to me in, in like the first month I was commissioner. So it kind of made me go, wow, this is really an interesting job. But in the first month of it, I was a commissioner, I got called by a woman up in, in the Triangle Lake area that was about some wild cows that had gotten into her, her garden and was making her dog bark all night. And these wild cows were running around in her yard. <laughs> she wanted to know what we were going to do about it and help her out. So, you know, here we I've got to deal with wild cows. And then I got another call shortly after that from an elderly gentleman that lives in Green Tree uh, Estates down there in Florence area, which is a 55 and over manufactured home park that has, you know, it's a gated community. And 
he was telling me all about how there's this flock of turkeys that was there in green trees. And it, it just started getting smaller and smaller because, you know, a turkey would get hit by a car, a coyote might get another one. And, it, and it's been getting smaller and smaller. So now there's just one tom turkey left from that flock. And that tom turkey just walks around the green trees and he's lonely. And was there a program that would capture some turkeys from somewhere else and maybe relocate them there so that this turkey could have company? <laughs> and, uh, so at that point, I realized as a commissioner, I I'm a wild cow wrangler and, and a turkey wrangler. Um, it is part of the job description. It was pretty interesting, but actually I found out a couple things through, through looking at both of those situations. And, um, I found out that there's actually a state branding authority and that's actually who has jurisdiction over wild cows. <laughs> so I connected that constituent with the state branding authority. Unfortunately, I found out since then the state branding authority isn't all that good at handling the wild cow situation because it truly hasn't been resolved um, years later because they keep getting out and they haven't really taken definitive action against the the um, cattle owner that won't maintain his fences. And uh, but I didn't know there was a branding authority, but they were supposed to have jurisdiction over livestock and particularly livestock at roaming free. And then as far as the wild turkeys go, uh, they're actually a non-native species and also considered a wild animal. So relocating wild animals is actually against state and federal law, <laughs> unless you have the proper permits. And all, you know, like it's actually technically illegal if you capture a raccoon in a trap or possum at your house, one of those live traps, and then drive them out in the woods and let them go, you actually committed uh, a crime. So you relocated a wild animal. <laughs> the, um, so I had to tell, tell the poor old man uh, out there in Green Tree Estates that I couldn't help his, his lonely Tom Turkey um, so it was it was kind of sad, and I really what's really kind of sad about that is I really felt that this gentleman was projecting his, his personal experience, and I kind of spent a little bit of extra time talking with him on the phone just to kind of make sure he wasn't having a lonely day that day because you know, that old Tom Turkey he's lonely, <laughs> and so it, it's kind of interesting being a commissioner sometimes. But I look forward to another four years of, of being responsive and using things like the Bose Nose Show to reach out to people and give me an opportunity to call me at 646-721-9887 and ask me about a question or problem you have. And, and you know, even though it might not be county jurisdiction, I can usually tell you who you ought to talk to. And if I can't, I'll research it and find out. And I, and I really enjoy doing that constituent help part of this, this, this job and being able to help somebody have a little bit better day than they were having before they called me. You know, because most of the time people call me, they're not having a good day. So, um, yeah, that's just one of the, the interesting parts about being a commissioner. It's also, I have that, I deal with these agencies on a regular basis. I have the knowledge of who has jurisdiction over what, what who provides what services, so I can help people get those connections. So got, got a problem with wild turkeys or, or wild cows, give me a call. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets me know you want to get in on the Bo's Nose Show. Coming to you live every Wednesday at 4 o'clock here on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. And don't forget to like us on Facebook because that way you'll get notifications of what's coming up on the show and all those uh, interesting tidbits in between. Uh, and also, you might want to like my uh, Jake Bozovich Westland County Commissioner page because I put out a lot of information there too. I try and get out to the, my constituents in as many ways possible and make myself available in as many ways possible. So you can message me on Facebook. You can also email the, the uh, Bose Nose Show at talk at krbnradio.net. Again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. 
And if you're wondering what KRBN comes from, that's because Robin, my call screener extraordinaire, that's K Robin. That's me. Yep, that's you. Just uh, just uh, reminding folks of why it's KRBN, maybe a little bit, if they haven't figured that out already. Um, One of Eugene's longest broadcasting internet radio stations since 2009. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And you've had a couple different shows on, and and right now I'm probably your your most regular and and flagship show every Wednesday. But uh, you've had a few other different shows, including one that you hosted yourself. That's true. Um, it was called uh, Oregon Update. Uh, did that with uh, uh, the former general manager of KND in Cottage Grove. We did that for a couple years, and uh, he died a couple years ago, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, one thing I wanted to jump in there real quick, because this is who I am and I can't let this pass. I could just see the headlines now. Commissioner Jay Bolchevich talks turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I talk turkey. Yes. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I do get some very interesting um, phone calls at times. and, and, uh, And sometimes I get some really bizarre phone calls, you know, where, you know, you can just definitely tell the person on the other end doesn't have their their themselves all together. Um, so it, it's it's um, it's an interesting job. I, I should write a book. You should. In fact, in in addition to cows, turkeys, I think you got a trucking story. Yeah, yeah, I I did I did kind of have a fun week. You know, like I said, it's interesting getting ready to run for re-election, all that stuff. But I put something up on Facebook a while back. Um, and we talked about it somewhat here on the on the Bo's Nose show about Highway 126 safety and some of the projects and all that. And it, and there's a list of all the upcoming projects and some of the past projects that are that are going to try and improve safety on Highway 126. But in doing so, I got a challenge from a friend of mine that I've known for quite a while, Bill McCoy, who uh, used to do some lobbying for the trucking industry, and he said you should ride in in a log truck on 126 and see it from their point of view and see some of the the other drivers behaviors around that big loaded 18 wheeler and um, i got to go on a log truck ride last friday which started early in the morning and we we i met the uh log truck driver as he dropped off his first load of the day at six in the morning. So you can imagine what time he got up to get out to this log landing, load up and be at the mill in no tie and and have unloaded and get me in the truck. And then we proceeded to the uh, log deck landing he had just come from, which was clear above Waldport up the Alsea River. <laughs> so his day started about 1.30 in the morning. And I, I was I was going to be his second. He was he makes two trips a day from this particular site and the contract they're they're working with, uh, loading out of there, which is a thinning contract in the Sayuslaw Forest. And I got to ride out there in his empty truck while it was snowing on 126 last Friday morning, and watch some of the drivers deal with the snow. And it's kind of always it's really interesting being up up that high first of all because I, I my rig's not that high I have an SUV but nowhere near as tall as an 18 wheeler so I got to see some things from the road that I never get to see from my car <laughs> you see a lot more of the Sayusla River because you're up high enough to see over the bank as as you're driving parallel to it on 126. So get out to the the, the log later. And I get to see what it's like to get logs loaded on a truck, what they have to do to to wrap them up and get them safe and and just stomping through that, you know, 10 inch deep muck of of a log landing while they're doing that with the snow falling around you, you know, 30 degree weather. Not a lot of fun being a a log truck driver, let alone one of those guys working the landing. And then, um, you know, we get up, get down off the the, uh, The, service roads, which are basically a one-lane gravel road covered with snow, working our way down in a, in a log truck, and then get down to where the paving starts, and they stop again, and they, they go through 
basically rechecking all their strapping. My driver actually cleaned off every tail light, every light on that trailer so he's visible because you know the mud that gathers on the on the logging road. And just to be safe for the highway, making sure there wasn't any, you know, dirt caught up underneath the trailer or something like that that might drop out at highway speeds, you know, working under the trailer with a shovel. And then we finally got on the highway, you know, hours hours later into the trip for the full load. And I got to experience, you know, a stretch of Highway 101 and 126 from Florence in the no tie with a loaded log truck and got to watch what happens in the passing lanes in the gaps where people can pass and cars pushing it to the very last minute to try and get around this log truck um, before the passing lane ends. And then, and just, you know, the nervousness of, you know, the log trucker watching in his rear view mirror, is this, is one more car going to try? Because we're running out of room here. Am I going to cut this person off? You could just see it going through his, his mind. And um, it, 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 it's pretty hairy with the way cars behave around trucks. And the silly thing was we had loaded up on the log landing with, there were two trucks at the same time. And both these trucks left, the other truck was in front of us. So these people that were taking their lives in their hands trying to pass us, there was a truck just a couple hundred yards down the road that they ended up behind. <laughs> yeah, they weren't going to go any faster, really. So it, it was pretty interesting getting to ride in a log truck to and from and, and on Highway 126 and to kind of see 126 from that point of view and just to watch these guys work safely. I mean, the, the driver I was with, uh, Elwood with um, Gary Folio trucking um, was just a great driver. You could just see he was careful, uh, diligent, uh, safe about his driving. I don't think he ever went over 60 miles an hour. So all these people that talk about speeding log trucks and he would as much as possible get kept his speed at 55. So he's at least doing the speed limit. There are a few places where he had to lug up a couple of the hills like Badger Mountain and up to the tunnel where he dropped below the speed limit. But uh, generally, he wasn't impeding traffic too badly, but used to, the, the amount of impatience at the pa passing lanes was pretty impressive. So, but he, he definitely, uh, you know, both these truck drivers, because I, I kind of got to watch the other guy from, a, I can't even remember what trucking company he was with, driving uh, slightly ahead of us. And they were just really safe operators. And I, I really commend the, the, the uh, diligence these guys have. No cell phones anywhere near him. You know, his cell phone was under, you know, buried in the console somewhere. You know, he, had, he had to pull it out when we were on the log landing, I think, to, to text what was going on or something like that. And he had, he had to find it. It was like, it was like a treasure hunt to find his cell phone. So, no cell phone. Um, the only thing he ever at, at was was on his radio, but it wasn't until he was off the highway and on the logging roads because they have to con consistently call the mile marker every half mile they're coming in and out of log landing, so that if they if there's a loaded truck coming down the hill, it's kind of a responsibility to unloaded truck to find a place to pull over and wait for them to come by. So it's kind of a kind of a little bit of a ballet getting trucks in and out of the landing because they're almost always up a dead end road and a one lane road at that. So um, that's kind of fun to be a part of that and, and an interesting thing. And just another one of those things as a commissioner, I would never have gotten to do if I weren't a lane time commissioner. No one would have offered to give me a ride on a log truck for the day. And, uh, you know, we made it back to the no tie mill by 1.30. So basically it was 12 hours into this guy's day and two two loads and the load weighed in at about 60,000 pounds as I saw his his loaded weight and, and his unloaded weight on the scales and a forklift came and picked the entire load out of that trailer in one lift massive piece of equipment there at, at Seneca's mill out in no tie and it's just kind of fun fun to see that big equipment fun to see all the big logs out there fun to you know see all the big equipment up on the log landing and it was just fun to ride in a truck and all that stuff i felt like a kid you know it's just you know a kid out there with all the big toys 
Kind of like going to the logging show there at the fairgrounds. So that that was a fun day. So you know, I, I I've I've dealt with wild cows, lonely turkeys, and log trucks. <laughs> and how many commissions on the Bo's Nose Show? <laughs> Not your average commissioner, folks. No, I, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's other commissioners that have some pretty interesting stories. I, you know, one of the it's always fun to go to the Association of Oregon Counties meeting and, and talk with some of the commissioners that are from over the hill, like Harney County, and some of the things they have to deal with. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm probably not the only commissioner that has some pretty interesting stories. Um, I'm sure that Gary Williams, now that he's been there for almost a year in the West and East Lane position, and as a rural commissioner, has gotten some pretty interesting phone calls over that year about various things. In fact, he, he's had to deal with some pretty interesting marijuana stuff down there um, just outside of Cottage Grove, where one grow had that big grow out there that was causing a lot of problems for the neighbors. Uh, I'm sure he's had his share of constituent phone calls. All right, so what else is going on in, the, uh, in your wild world of commissioning? The wild world of commissioning, well, one of the things, you know, we're going to, be hearing more and more about our strategic plan over the next couple of weeks because we we adopted that um was it? yeah a week ago <laughs> the 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 meetings kind of run together in your head sometimes and of course you know we're starting to think about the next legislative sessions because you never can't not be thinking about that and thinking about some of the laws that i'd like to pass in that in that legislative session and one of them i spoke about earlier which is to try and get uh, accessory dwelling units to be legal in rural residential properties that are already zoned for single-family housing. Uh, not talking about out on farmland and, and forest land, I'm talking about rural residential where there's already existing housing being developed and at allowing those accessory dwelling units. And then also looking at um, getting some legislation to give a little bit more flexibility to counties to approve farm-to-table businesses in farm zoning. And, and of course, we talked in the past here on the show about agrarian ales and the problems they have with the fact that they kind of are, are going a little bit too commercial and exclusive farm use zoning for the uh, tasting room they have because OLCC wants you to serve food with, with, with beer or wine. You know, the wineries managed to get some laws passed that made them legal but uh, it didn't cover breweries. So agrarian ales is kind of sitting out there somewhat illegal and um, we need to get something to get them legal. At the same time, I've got um, a, a business out in my district that's running into the same problem because it's legal for you to sell strawberry preserves that you make on your farm at a farm stand but it's not legal for you to sell bread that you baked from grain you raised on that farm. Let me run that by. It's legal to sell strawberry preserves that you made from the strawberries that you grew on that farm at a farm stand, but it's illegal for you to sell bread that you baked from grain that you grew and milled from that same farm. Are you say, what world? Why is strawberry preserves okay to manufacture at a farm, but not baked bread? Why That's, is that, Jay? Why is that? Because strawberry preserves are considered to be processing food, whereas baking bread is prepared food. I don't get the distinction, but somewhere in state law, there is a distinction between processing food and selling that in a farm stand versus selling prepared food. And bread is bread is considered a prepared food. So Camas Country Mill, which is a great business, started with some video lottery dollars uh, assistance from Lane County, and has actually outgrown their original facility that was up off of uh, Prairie Road, and has actually moved into West Eugene at a larger facility. 
and added capacity, and they actually now have a sister facility up near Seattle, process locally grown um, specialty grains for the most part, trying to, to add diversity to the agriculture in the valley as after 2008, the grass seed market fell apart, and it, it, there needed to be something else that could grow in the Willamette Valley. But without a miller to mill grains, there was no real market for some of these um, specialty grains that are starting to grow, some of the hard red wheats and, and various specialty grains. And um, Tom Hunton, uh, who had a rather large farm up in, in, it's actually a century farm, I believe, outside of Junction City and north of Alvador, um, started Camas Country Mill and started growing some of the grains himself and encouraged some other farmers to do so and got quite the, the, the business going, just milling and selling the flour um, to grocery stores and, and, and places like Whole Foods. But he, he, he rescued a one-room schoolhouse from being destroyed that was in Alvador and moved it to his farm. It was, and it was a historic one-room schoolhouse, you know, had it put on a trailer, moved it up, restored it, set it up. And he thought, well, I've got this schoolhouse. I'll, I'll start a stand because I've got this uh, garage next to it where I'll sell uh, some of my flour and stuff that comes from the Camas Country Mill out here at the farm where we actually raise the grain. That's fine to sell the flour, but he decided to bake cookies and bread for people to buy there too, so they could get a sampling of what the product you can use the product for, and and some some of that. And and in addition to the bread, he was making sandwiches with it. So people were stopping there to get a cup of coffee and a cookie or a brownie, or they were stopping at lunchtime and maybe getting a sandwich. And then they they take their sandwich and sit in the old one room schoolhouse at a table and eat it. And it was a really it's really a nice little setup, and it's. Uh, you know, out in the middle of almost nowhere, so it's really a pretty setting. It's a great stop if you're out cycling. You know, stop and get some caffeine and sugar. Woohoo! Um, but lo and behold, he's technically breaking the law. So we need to get a law passed this next session that makes agrarian and Camas Country bakery legal. And we and we have to make it flexible enough so that the next person that comes along that's the Tom Hunton or the agrarian ales guys and thinks of some new way of doing added value through a farm stand to make make local agricultural more profitable and more beneficial and more likely to have you know small family farms. We need to have that flexibility in our code. We need to have a way of of being able to approve that stuff without having to wait for the next legislative session and get some very specialized legislation that goes through, because that's what happened with the wineries. They got some very specialized legislation went through, and then the cider industry came into being, and they came back and amended the winery stuff to add cideries to it. So you're okay if you're a winery, you're okay if you're a cider maker, but if you make beer, you're not okay. So. The laws are so specific and the exceptions are so specific in those laws that it wouldn't be even flexible enough for somebody that was growing hops and, and brewing beer to be able to have a similar facility tasting room as a winery is currently allowed to have or a cider person is allowed to have. So we need to kind of make that law be a little bit more flexible about um, farm to table even if it has to be done with special exception permits you know so there is some you know review of that making sure people just aren't converting farmland into restaurants and, and wedding venues uh, we, there's there needs to be a nexus in whatever the farm's doing i think like Amos country bakery and agrarian where they're growing the hops on agrarian's property um I think we just need to find some flexibility. So, you know, as I as I start thinking about things, we're starting to have. We had a legislative committee meeting last week. Was that? Yeah, it was last week. Um, and we're starting to talk about what bills are we going to try and find sponsors for, get people to draft, 
and you know those are just a couple of them accessory dwelling units and the uh, uh, farm table uh, commercial uses in EFU and then you know of course we're going to be working really hard to to get bond money for the uh, new county courthouse um, um, you know, so there's there's lots going on on commissioners there's always something going on commissioners and you know I want to hear though more about what's going on in your life here in Lane County. What issues are important to you? you know, if you want to give me a call, 646-721-9887, and just press one, let Robin know you want to talk to me, and we'll get you in the queue and on the air here, and uh, we'll talk about what you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show, because that's really what this show is all about, is talking about what you want to talk about now. I try and bring things up and, and educate people on some of the issues, but you know, I might be completely missing something that, that you're interested in. Because we cover a lot of ground at Lane County. We we build roads, we deal with solid waste, we house people, we provide um, heating assistance, uh, we we do all sorts of interesting things. You know, we have a behavioral health department, you know, so if you've got a family member having a mental health issue, you know, we can talk about that. And I want to, I want to kind of uh, switch gears a little bit here and, and talk about some of um, national news in a way, but bring it local a little bit. You know, we, we had a little bit of an incident here recently um, and several incidences of, of youth suicide that were a little bit of a cluster and we were kind of concerned about it and kind of um, kicked into gear and tried to make people aware of that and, and talking about it a little bit more and, and just uh, energize some of the, the capacity of, of, of dealing with that. And that's a part through our behavioral health folks and, and some of our other um, youth services and a few other programs but really a lot of that comes from cyberbullying, and it kind of relates to national issues because just you know there's been all this concern about safety in schools and mass school shootings, and it, quite often the perpetrator of these mass shooting events has a history of being bullied and, and being and having mental health issues. Uh, quite often suicidal at times, and it's one of those things where we just really need to start uh, destigmatizing uh, folks that are having those issues, being willing to, you know, tell somebody when you hear somebody talking in, in ways that you, you suspect they might be um, considering suicide or um, down on themselves enough and depressed, you know, you know, helping people get help in our society and just really trying to be somebody's friend and, and helping out. You know, just like the, the elderly gentleman called me about the, the lonely turkey, I just spent some extra time talking to him because I kind of felt like he was lonely. And maybe just a few extra minutes, you know, talking to him, asking him how he's doing, how he likes living in green trees, how he likes Florence, you know. Just that little bit of extra effort to make him feel included in society. You know, I hope hope it made a difference for him. And if everybody you know, maybe did that a little bit more, it would really help prevent a lot of these issues. Because really, it's amazing how cruel we can be. You know, and, and I see it on Facebook where people jump on people without even really knowing the whole story. They have just vicious comments sometimes, and it's just so damaging. And we really ought to be thinking carefully about that and really thinking about if you if you know a person that seems isolated, and you know, it's, it's that, that strange guy from accounting who always eats by himself, you know, <laughs> or the, the, the kid it just moved in the area and no one's made really made reach out to them be the person that says hi just go sit with them you know get them involved because that that could be the next mass shooter 
because they're feeling so isolated, they get dehumanized. They're willing to, you know, in their mind, make it okay to take that kind of action. Usually as part of a suicide, ultimately to be a suicide at the end of it. So it's it's really, you know, as I'm thinking about national news, and, and I want to get onto one other topic, and Robin, you'll probably like this one um, and want to maybe chime in a little bit. But it is, um, I'm trying to remember if it's, well, it's March is national. It's, it's a month. All right, I want to make sure it's not, I was, couldn't remember if it's a week or month. It's National Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. And one of the things we're trying to do is encourage people to look at hiring people with development and uh, intellectual disabilities. Um, and we actually have been, been got a story on KBAL about that. I've actually shared it out on Facebook, on my commissioner's page. Um, but it, it's really um, something that's kind of near and dear to me because I I had 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 a developmentally disabled stepbrother um, and really got to understand you know, what a cool, wonderful person he was and and just you know he liked his work. That he did. He was he worked in a mailroom at uh, National Institutes of Health back east when I was back there, and uh, just you know, cheerful, friendly, nice person, smile on his face all the time. You know, great to be around. He just you know, unfortunately, when he was being born, and, and this was back in the 40s because he was a little older than me uh was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck and suffered enough oxygen deprivation of birth that he was intellectually and developmentally disabled uh in comparison to a lot of other people uh, but was much more functional than some um, but he he was just wonderful person to be around and uh, a lot of stories like that, like that. And I just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I encourage folks, you know, as we start talking about reaching out to folks that are isolated, think about also including some of these wonderful people in your workplace. If you're an employer out there, um, think, you know, a lot of these folks um, you can hire uh, quite often. There's uh, assistance through um, uh, some of our programs and, and other great charities around here. Robin, I, I think you kind of know of one of those that might actually help people with hiring development, the developmentally disabled. Absolutely. In fact, we got a sad story to uh, to share, mm -hmm. and that is uh, thanks to a lawsuit. I forget the origin of it, but there's a thing called sheltered workshops, which helps people with uh, disabilities. It helps helps them train, helps them prepare for jobs. Are, and also, it, it also is their second home. Um, but the part of the lawsuit is because these people are not expected to produce a product. So they work at, at their own rate if they choose to. So, some don't have to do anything, but you know, a lot of them make sub-minimum wage. Well, anyways, it's called Sheltered Workshops, and that's coming to an end this September. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why we're trying to encourage employers to, to hire these folks because that sheltered workshop programs are ending and we need to find places for these people where they can feel like they're being productive because they really love being part of a workplace. Oh yeah, their alternative is that they, they sit a lot of times at a group home and they just vegetate. Yeah, yeah. which is not, not good for them psychologically and and frankly they can really add a lot to a workplace i mean i these the folks i've interacted with that come to lane county and do some of our uh shuttling and all that always a smile big smiles you know yeah. hard to be in a bad mood once you've been around one of them yes we have a program that's called project search that we've uh, partnership with uh uh, Riverbend and a couple other companies now, and what that does is it offers kind of an internship for uh, 
some of our clients, and uh, some of them have actually been offered jobs there at the end of it. But it, it, if nothing else, it it helps them learn the real world. It gives them a different perspective on stuff. And a lot of times when you introduce something new and they figure out that they can do it, I mean, like you say, they're just happy as a clam. Yeah. yeah. Very rewarding. So you didn't mention who who you're actually which agency you're actually saying has the program. Well, yeah, I suppose I could on this program. Um, it's the Pearl Buck Center in Eugene, and they. Uh, I was trying to give you a free plug there. Um, I appreciate the free free plug on my station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was setting you up for a free plug. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, we have a, a numerous programs. Uh, available for people with disabilities, uh, various types. And we're working on starting a secondary education to kind of help uh, further along some of these people. And we take donations. We could use your help, even volunteers. Um, or, you know, or if you just want a tour, stop by, talk to the receptionist and arrange a tour. We'll be glad to glad to show you the history of Pearl Buck and, uh, and give you the tour of the, of the facility. You guys, you guys help an awful lot of people in the community, and, and particularly this population of the developmentally disabled. Uh, really, really appreciate um, the work that Pearl Buck does, and it is March is National Development Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. Uh, that's a mouthful. Um, uh, yeah, really, we just wanted to have a chance to plug Pearl Buck a little bit and talk about them. Forget to do that today. And also, uh, check out pearlbuckcenter.com if you want to uh, check out our website. And um, it shows quite a bit of what we do. Yeah, and it, they've got some incredible programs, including a, a great preschool and kindergarten program for um, and parent, parenting uh, classes for some of these developmentally disabled who happen to have children. And uh, a lot of you guys run the gamut of services for these folks. Absolutely. In fact, what a lot of people don't know is that if you go to our website, we actually have an online store now that you can order t-shirts, uh, awards, and other stuff. Because we, in part, part of our services and training that we do, we do engraving, laser engraving. Um, we make different types of signs and logos and all that fun stuff. So we offer a variety of stuff uh, for sale too, and that kind of helps uh, you know, support the project. Keep the lights on, so to speak. It's absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's a great nonprofit uh, charity that you know folks might want to think about. Uh, now it's tax time, and you're, if you're looking for that, uh, that deduction next year, um, they're a great, great organization to think about because they really serve an, an underserved um, group of uh, people, and they really do a good job doing it. Absolutely. And as we wind down to the last uh, couple of minutes, I want to take a moment and thank uh, our listeners uh, today, the ones that stayed with us. And if you have if you have a question and you weren't able to get into the show, um, Jay can tell you all the different ways you can get a hold of us. And if there's a guest that you would like Jay to arrange, um, since, let us know about it. Yeah, it's been a while since we had a guest. I should probably organize a few of those. But uh, any suggestions you have? You can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. Like us on Facebook, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is the Facebook page. And uh, you can also message us on that Facebook page if you, know, if you want to message us. You can also go to my Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page, and you can like that page and message me through that page if you want to get a hold of me. Or you can go to my personal Facebook page, Jay Bozovich, and message me there. Or you can go to my the county email uh, website, lanecounty.org, and find my email on the commissioner's page there. Or you can just call me here on the show. So thank you for listening to Bo's No Show. We'll be back next week with another edition of Bo's No Show. Coming up from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Thank you.